0: Hi, this is Joe Montana.
1: This is Dak Prescott. Hey, this is Jason Kelsey, and you're listening
0: to Rob Motti. Rob Motti. Rob Motti. I am Rob Motti, and welcome to the AP Pro Football Podcast. Last week, I recorded the episode in beautiful Florida with a gorgeous view looking out at the Gulf of Mexico. And right now, I'm just sitting here staring at snow in South Jersey. So wherever you are, I hope you're staying warm or staying cool, depending on your environment, and hope you're enjoying your football Week 14 wrapped up with, this was one of the most entertaining games, Monday Night Football, that I've seen in a long time. The Ravens and Lamar Jackson playing Superman, cramps and everything else, coming back, running back out onto the field, leading Baltimore to a 47-42 win over Cleveland. Really enjoyed that game. We'll talk about it and more with AP Pro Football writer Barry Wilner in our weekly chat. Also, former NFL linebacker, Dahani Jones, and former Pro Bowl defensive end, Wale Agunlier, They're going to join me, so stay tuned for those interviews. Both men are doing really great things now after football, and they also have excellent insight on the game. We're going to kick it off this week with my colleague, Barry Wilner, AP Pro Football writer and Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. Barry, the NFL owners met virtually this week and agreed to procedures for what a 17th game will look like whenever the league decides to add it to the schedule. I personally love the idea of an interconference matchup because it could pit a two teams that wouldn't ordinarily play except every 4 years and now you might see different kind of matchups for that extra game. What are your thoughts on that and when do you think realistically we'll see it? Could it be 2021 or is it going to be later?
2: Rob, I do think we'll see it in 2021 because of all the money the NFL has lost this year. Mm-hmm. Oh, I shouldn't say lost, but the uh, revenue cut that's happened because of the pandemic. So I do think we'll see it in 2021. I think they just wanted to wait until they got uh, to the Super Bowl. Uh, the owners will then meet again, as they always do, and probably, again, virtually, but it probably will make a decision then. I do like the fact that it's intercommerce. I think it had to be inter-commerce, frankly. The one thing that I... Um, Was hoping, and something that had been discussed for years was making the seventeenth game a neutral site game and getting these games overseas. But the NFLs had to step back, and will you know continue to put on hold overseas games at least until we're beyond COVID nineteen. So you know, which will be who knows when. So I think that's how uh, they reached this kind of a situation, and um, I do think we will see it next season.
0: Any other major news? Anything come out of the owners' meeting virtually this week?
2: No, they didn't have a lot on the agenda. and uh, So there wasn't a lot. There's no, nothing with rules that, that would come in March. Um, and uh, they've already got the CBA, which was settled earlier this year. So it was really a team meeting except for the uh, 17 games.
0: All right, let's get to some football. The Steelers have now lost two straight games. I've seen some people question their toughness. Is this, the two-game losing streak, maybe just a little blip for them, a combination of some scheduling issues with COVID and then playing a really good team in Buffalo? Or do you believe the concerns about this team are warranted?
2: I think that um, they have not peaked uh, too soon, which is what a lot of people are saying. The running game is really in, in a bad way, and they must get that straightened out. They need John Connor healthy. They need the offensive line to do a better job blocking for him that's a major problem and they've been hit by some big injuries especially at linebacker uh having said that I still think that the Steelers are a difficult out in the playoffs and will be and I would never t- uh, question their toughness I don't know where that comes from uh I don't think that they were particularly out physical by Washington or Buffalo
0: yeah that and that's some questions about their offensive and defensive line play and I kind of feel like they'll get back on track. This team is just too good. Ben Roethlisberger is going to be too motivated at this point. And they have a a nice game to fall back on this week, Monday night in Cincinnati. That'll make everybody feel a whole lot better and get you back on the winning track. We got three weeks left. The race for the number one seed, obviously, in the AFC got tighter now with Kansas City surpassing Pittsburgh. In the NFC, too, New Orleans didn't show up against the Eagles, and now they fell behind Green Bay, and the Saints have the Chiefs coming up this week. So that was a, a really costly loss for New Orleans. And, of course, they didn't have Drew Brees, but unless Green Bay slips up at some point and they still have Tennessee next week, I love the Packers' chances with Aaron Rodgers playing the way he's playing, and if they get a bye, how do you see it? And how just how costly was that Saints loss to the Eagles?
2: Like you said, Rob, they didn't show up. And I think they were looking ahead to the Chiefs in some ways. And the Eagles have just been so bad. They really have been one of the worst teams in the league over a month's span. And I think that they uh, came in flat. I mean, Sean Payton admitted it. So the Saints may need to look not ahead at Green Bay. They may not be able to catch Green Bay. They, they also may need to look behind them at the Rams and Seahawks, who are only a game behind them. And the Seahawks particularly have an easy schedule remaining. So. um and the Rams and the Seahawks play each other, so one of the teams will get a loss. But they have an easier uh, schedule than what the Saints have to put up with this week. So uh, the Saints are in, in a difficult spot to get that by. And if the Packers get it, you know, with no crowd, it's not uh, a huge advantage. But with the weather, it's a huge advantage. And we talked about this last week. You know, the Saints or the Rams or the Seahawks having to go into Lambeau Field, That's not the most comfortable place to be in January.
0: This weekend, we only have one matchup featuring two winning teams, and it's the one we just mentioned with the Saints hosting Kansas City. Chiefs are a three-point favorite on the road, understandable. Drew Brees is going to start practicing this week. Sean Payton says he's not going to rush him back. I think they kind of have to if they have any opportunity to beat Kansas City. I don't see any way where New Orleans would beat Kansas City with Taysom Hill. Kansas City 6-7 and seven this year against the spread. Saints are 7-5. and five. New Orleans had the number one defense up until last week when Jalen Hurts and the Eagles ran all over them, so they went from number one to number two. Kansas City's got the number one offense. Uh, I'm sure they're going to be motivated against Patrick Mahomes and that Chiefs offense. If Breeze plays, I, I do like the Saints, but this is one I'd kind of wait on to see what his status is like and how rusty is he going to be. So it's a tough game. It's a tough one to predict. How do you like it?
2: I like the Chiefs regardless of the circumstances. Uh, I would love to see Breeze be back and healthy to get, go against Mahomes. That's a great matchup. But I agree with you that it, it could be problematic bringing him back now. Uh, and the other thing is, Rob, you know, the Chiefs seem to have uh, sleepwalked through some of their games <laughs> and still keep winning. Yeah, They're going to bust out at some point, And this is a perfect place. I know it's against a really good defense. But this is a type of game where they could just bust out and um, just tell the rest of the league, hey, we're the champs and you got to get past us and we're not in a position to let you get past us.
0: Washington's won four in a row, so they go from two and seven to six and seven, leading the NFC east. and they still got a, a difficult schedule, starting with Seattle, They're home against the Seahawks, but they're five and a half point road. The Seahawks are five-and-a-half-point road favorites. So Seattle, they had their slip-up game two weeks ago at home against the Giants. I I don't see them slipping up in this game, even though it's on the road against Washington. But I don't think it's going to be easy for Russell Wilson and and that offense because Washington, they got the number four defense. They got that defensive front with Chase Young and all those guys are really tough. It might be a closer matchup than we think on the surface. How do you see it playing out?
2: I don't think the Seahawks are going to score a lot of points on offense because their offensive line isn't the greatest and they could uh, really be under, uh, Russell Wilson could really be under some pressure, particularly from guys like Chase Young and uh, the rest of those guys on the line that have played very well the last five weeks. But especially if Al Smith can't play or if he's limited, I don't see Washington getting very many points. Even against the Seahawks defense, it's not real good. so. Um, I do like the Seahawks in this game, but I think it's going to be a lower scoring game than some people might imagine.
0: Here's a dilemma for the NFC East teams because suddenly they're not the laughing stock of the NFL anymore. They had some impressive wins in the past couple. Giants beat Seattle, Eagles beat the Saints, Washington's won four in a row. The division still stinks, but you win the division, you're going to get in, you're going to get a home game, and more than likely be at least a touchdown underdog. If you lose. You'll, if you don't win the division, you're going to either have a top five or at least a top ten pick in the draft, which could really help your franchise. Now, guys don't want to talk about that. Do you think organizations may have that in their mind when they make decisions the final three games of the season, that it's more important to have a top five, top ten pick, or do you think they're going, going to go all out to win and get that division and – get the home game, even though they're going to more than likely lose it? I
2: don't believe that organizations tank because jobs are on the line. Players' jobs, coaches' jobs, GMs' jobs. I just don't believe that they would do that and, and, you know, tank games or decide that they're in better shape by losing games. So, no, I don't think that's going to happen. I particularly don't think it's going to happen in uh, an NFC East where the the uh, Washington team and the Giants are developing a, a new culture, really, and young players. And the Eagles kind of need to do a little bit of that too. Uh, kind of forget about the past and move ahead forward. Now the Cowboys be the only team in the, of those four that really might uh, even think about something like that, but I just don't see it. All
0: right. Do you see any potential upsets on the schedule this weekend? Since you got so many games involving losing teams versus winning teams. Uh, the biggest spread that I see, Tennessee, 11-point favorite against Detroit. Baltimore, 13 against Jacksonville. You got Indianapolis, a 7-point favorite at home against Houston. Philly's a 6-point dog in Arizona. And, of course, the Jets, 17-point underdog on the road against the Rams. That one, you know, of those that I mentioned, and then there's another one, the Giants at home, Sunday Night Football against Cleveland, a 5-point underdog. I I, if I had to pick a game that could be a potential upset, I kind of lean towards the Giants against Cleveland. Is there anyone that you see?
2: Well, those ones you mentioned, I think the Giants would be the only one. The spreads are so wide. I think Jacksonville is actually going to make it a closer game because I think Baltimore, after the high that it's on from the from the other night and with all the injuries that the Ravens got, I don't think they're going to blow out Jacksonville. I do think they'll win. Uh my pick for an upset, and this is only because of injuries on the favorite team's side, is I kind of think the Patriots might be able to beat uh, the Dolphins. The Patriots are not very good, but the Dolphins could be missing five or six starters, including on the of their running backs, and uh, top receivers. So um, I-, I could see New England winning that game.
0: Yeah, and it's only a two-point spread, which tells you right there that the odds makers see the Patriots keeping it close. And... They don't have Tom Brady anymore, and he kind of struggled down there in the heat in Miami. So maybe Cam Newton can help the Patriots out a little bit. How about the the Buccaneers, Atlanta? I still can't figure that team out, and they're a six point favorite in Atlanta. I I see that one potentially being a close game down the wire.
2: Uh, the, the the Falcons will not have Julio Jones, and it you know they only have one receiver who's of any uh, danger in, in Ridley. They don't run the ball. You know, Todd Gurley is clearly not healthy. Um, they don't have a very good defense. Um, but it's funny what you say about the Bucks; that you can't figure them out. I don't think Bruce Arians can figure them out either.
0: <laughs> this is true. Well, Barry, man, thank you as always, and look forward to chatting again next week.
3: You bet, Rob.
2: Thanks.
0: Ahani Jones played linebacker for 10 seasons in the league with the Giants, the Eagles, and the Bengals. He started 131 games. He played in a Super Bowl with Philly in 2004 against New England. Jones recently hosted five interviews with athletes of different backgrounds and experiences to help foster inclusivity in endurance sports. The Someone Like Me speaker series is playing this week on Gatorade Endurance's Instagram and YouTube. We talked about this and more. Here's my conversation with Dahani Jones. Dahani, I want to start with the NFC East because you played there, man. You spent six of your ten years in the NFC East. Giants with a, a loss on Sunday. They were 5-2 and two in their last seven games, and then they lost their opportunity to stay in first place. Eagles are struggling. Washington's winning right now. They're 6-7, and seven, not at 500. What do you make of this whole NFC East and this, whoever comes out of it? You think they even have a chance in that first round playoff game? They'll be home. That's about all. I mean, they'll they'll be home.
1: You know, this, this year is just weird altogether. I don't think anybody can really kind of like stake their claim and say, this is the reason why things are happening in the NFC East or really across the NFL, because things are so varied, right. Each week is so different, but that's the NFL. That's what we love watching. Right. And I, I love watching my old teams. I love watching my old teammates and some of them are still out there playing and, uh, you know i i love watching the the washington football team get out there and 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 here's the thing it's it's football it's 2020 nothing really makes any sense i mean to be honest patrick mahomes he doesn't make any sense but he he keeps throwing that rock and he does an amazing job right so i mean there 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 are things that people do that you watch and you see and you say to yourself, wow, how did that happen? And it's the same thing when it comes down to records within the NFC East or kind of across the rest of the league.
0: Well, Patrick Mahomes plays for one of your old coaches in, in Big Red, in Andy Reid, and, you know, he leaves Philadelphia and the knock against him was, well, he, he couldn't win the big one. He had all the success, most wins in franchise history, couldn't win the big one. He goes to KC, he finally gets that Super Bowl championship, And he could get more before it's all said and done. How have you seen Andy evolve as a head coach?
1: You know, I was talking to someone the other day about how it's so important that these pieces of the team come together. Right. It comes down to ownership. It comes down to management. It comes down to coaching. It comes down to players. It comes down to sort of, you know, the the 12th man. It comes down to something out of the ordinary that all of a sudden brings this halo of of positive or this halo of success or this halo of super bowls right or around around the team and i think that they have that right they'll never talk about it internally and Andy Rev will say you know we we had that same opportunity in Philadelphia. We unfortunately never got there. You know, he'll have a box comment, right? Because that's Andy Reid. But he's saying he's he's still the same big guy as he says. He still enjoys his hamburgers and he still enjoys his ice yeah. cream, yeah. right? And now he just enjoys it in Kansas City, and they're doing a great job. And and really, there's something special in that guy, Mahomes. I was talking. To another person, I mean, can you the amazing things that he does rolling out to his left and throwing to his right, I don't think people understand how hard that is. I mean, there is no leverage, and he just flicks the ball perfectly, and he's just got these weapons around him that just sink well. And 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 a lot of people probably, you know, if, if they make it back, which I think they will this year, you know, they might be in a similar running to like what New England Patriots did, right? And, it, and if that's the case, then... Than the conversations that Mahomes and um, and Tom Brady have at the middle of the field, I hope someone's catching some of those uh, some of that audio because that's pretty spectacular.
0: Hi, I want to ask you how real this is because there's talk about divided locker rooms and in Philly, there's their quarterback controversy with Jalen Hurts now taking over for Carson Wentz, who got paid to be a franchise quarterback, and then you see in the first game out there, Jalen Hurts and the Eagles' offense against the number one defense in the NFL, and they get the W against the New Orleans Saints. Now, there's a lot that goes into it. There's you know, offensive line played better. Running back stepped up. Defense was terrific against New Orleans. And and Doug Peterson made sure to emphasize it's not just a quarterback. And he finally – he didn't say it immediately after the game, but he decided that, oh, no, Jalen Hurts is going to start the next game. In that locker room, could there be division? Could guys be – you know, we hear it all the time. Could there be Hurts guys, Wentz guys? I'm, I'm going
1: to stop you right there, Rob. There, there's always people in the locker room that are going to take sides, but that always occurs only because the coaching staff makes that case, right? Because if you're going to pay someone over $100 million in order to be a franchise quarterback, there's going to be people that jump on board. It's It's kind of like, in any type of corporate env- environment there's someone that you know is going to move up and so you you hit your wagon you know uh, to, to, to that you know to that bus right and you just like ride it out and so all of a sudden now you have Jalen come in there and then a lot of people might have said from the very beginning well I think he's a, he's a better a better quarterback i mean the, the the challenging thing in any of those situations is that as a coach you set that but now you have to manage it. Right. And as and as fans, or as former players or as media, we just have to watch the story play out. But that's football, right? We never know exactly how it's gonna be. And I think um, you know, I've I've seen it, I've seen it before. I saw it when I was at the University of Michigan, I, I saw the quarterback controversy, you know, when I when it happened at uh at the giants it happens at every team but the best teams are the ones that are able to manage it up front and work through it so hopefully philadelphia figures it out and you know jalen gets his time in the in the sun and and hopefully he wins
0: Well, you were involved or part of a team that had a whole different kind of controversy going on. Not the year you went to the Super Bowl, but the year after, the whole T.O. situation. And Donovan, I can't believe T.O. still got hate in his heart for Donovan, the way that whole thing went down. Watching him, like sometimes some of the things he says on social media is pretty funny. But was that locker room? Now looking back, we're 15 years later. Was there a split?
1: You know, I was on the defensive side, right? You know, so I wasn't even trying to pay attention to that because, you know, myself, Jeremiah Trotter and the rest of the defense, um, you know, Brian Dawkins. I mean, we had it locked up on our side and we can't let the other side of the, you know, other side of the team influence what we do. Right. We can't let them sort of get into our heads. And it's kind of like, you know, what I've been doing sitting at home with Gatorade Endurance and someone like me speaker series. It's like you can't let those that are out there that don't necessarily look like you get into your own mind and say to you, like, you can't do this sport, right? It's a, it's the same type of, same type of mentality. You have to have that mental fortitude in order to find your way through. And that's what's so amazing about, you know, this, this, someone like me speak a series is because, you know, I talk to guys that, you know, they, they didn't play professional football, like Max Fennell didn't play professional football right? Alison DeSeer, she didn't play professional football and neither did Keonti's story, but Keonti, you know, he's an adaptive athlete that was in the United States military. And so he understands the notion of teamwork and understands the notion of camaraderie. And he climbed to the top of Mount mountain in Antarctica and there was no one up there that looked like him. And so he didn't look at everybody else and say, I can't do this. He found his own motivation. And so in these stories of which, you know, I'm bringing light to in this Gatorade endurance, you know, someone like me speaker series, I'm allowing other people to feel that there's other people out there that are willing to support so that when you do get into those situations, you can find your way through. What inspired you to do this, to come up with this? Cause I was one of those guys that was out there. You know, I talk about football all the time. I didn't play football until I got to high school, right? I didn't play football till my freshman year of high school. And it was the hardest First week of my entire life, right? Three a day sleeping in the hallways of, of Winston Churchill High School in, in Maryland. You know what I did before I played football? You know, I was a swimmer, I was a cyclist, I was a runner, you know, I was in the endurance sports world. And so that's where I essentially lived. And so many times I would look around and I said to myself, I'm the only one out here, right? And so when when Gatorade Endurance was said, you know, would you like to host this? interview with you know these these endurance athletes from different backgrounds and help them tell their story it was like a light bulb went off it was like oh my gosh i'm that person 30 years ago before the nfl that sat on that starting line looking around trying to figure out if there was someone out there that was like me and i didn't see anybody and i wish there was and now there are people like max as i said before max Finnell who's the first he's the first black triathlete Chris Mosier. I know, I know you've seen Chris Mosier. He's, he, he, he's the first of so many different things, right? <laughs> yeah. he's, you know, triathlete, six time member of team USA, you know, uh, it also transgender first transgender athlete in ESPN, the body issue. Think about that. Right. So there's, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, I feel as though would love to be motivated, right. And, and love to be, um, uh, excited by the fact that there are people speaking on this and that they can be therefore supported.
0: Well, you did the series already. It's going to come out.
1: Yeah, it's coming out on, on Gatorade Endurance Instagram channels, and it'll start off uh, December 15th.
0: OK, so from those interviews, give me maybe one or two like stories, conversations that really you were like, wow, man, I can't believe you went through this or you had to do this or or how you got to this point. Like what stood out to you?
1: I, I think each of them had uh a different part that that stood out to me. Um you know, Chris Mosier, you know, so many firsts and 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 still fighting for so many firsts, right? Um as a transgender athlete, um, all of the different battles and all of the different uh Policies and people that he's had to um, convince and and talk to and and energize uh, because of his own journey, right? Kianti's um, story, United States uh, Marine Corps. You know, it was it was a veteran. You know, Iraq and Afghanistan uh, served our country. And was a foster care uh, kid who got adopted at the age of 18 and found that camaraderie, as I mentioned before, and that support by those that were in the in the military. And when, you know, unfortunate things happened and um, he found peace within his community, but also needed something else in order to 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 find that that. That energy again, right? And so you're like, okay, you know, I've, I've I've lost a limb. I'm gonna get out there and I'm gonna find an, another way to you know, motivate myself. I mean, who's gonna go to Antarctica and climb to the top of Mount Mount Vincent, right? Who's gonna do that? I mean, so his story was amazing, right? And you're just and I'm sitting here the entire time, just glued to my computer, right? It's like I wish it was in person because you know you could you could sense it, but. His story is phenomenal, and and everybody's had that. Allison Desir, you know, she's a mental health advocate, and you could you could hear from her how she was how she was able to mentally overcome a lot of her postpartum depression that she incurred after having her child by running. And I think the greatest thing of all is is the fact that everybody in in these five endurance athletes that I've been able to talk to found their own peace within sort of the endurance and the distance world that they now are fighting to recruit more people that look like them to participate. And so that just gives me uh, that this that makes me excited. And I think everybody as they they watch, they'll feel the same type of uh, same same type of energy.
0: Did you get a chance to speak to Allison a little bit about her the mental health Uh, wellness that she's obviously an advocate for. You just mentioned a little bit. I've had talked to Brandon Marshall recently, a couple other guys who are really trying to break that stigma of of mental health. Did you guys get into that conversation a little bit?
1: Yeah, we, we talked about it and, and, you know, I have a lot of friends that are, that have, have gone through that, that as well. I mean, what's, what's, what I think is phenomenal is that now people are actually speaking up and speaking out about it and they're actually acknowledging the fact that they may not have it all together and, and sports is something that really allows them to kind of find their way through and that your your mental um, your mental health is just as important as your physical health. And, and, and in fact, they, they go hand in hand. Um, so we, we did get into that. And she talked about, you know, even, you know, she found Harlem Run, Run for All Women Running Diversity, uh, was it Running Industry Diversity Coalition that she founded and, and, and how she finds her own peace as soon as she walks out. She puts on those shoes and she takes off. She goes into a different world, and I and I think that's important to acknowledge. And a lot of people think, well, I got to do this sport, or this other sport. No, you can just sometimes go outside your your house. And as I said, if I've told people, just start off with one lap. And if you can get up to ten, great. If you just stick with one, fantastic. But at least you're you're finding a way to um, to 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 have that health and wellness in your life.
0: The honey man. Well, I appreciate it. Nice chatting with you. Nice catching up with you and keep me posted. I, you always got something going on. I know you do. You're always doing something good.
1: Hey Rob, I, I appreciate it. You know, there's a, there's a lot of things that we figured out in the, in the last 10 months. And there's a, you know, the most important thing is that there's a lot of people that need these nuggets of inspiration and, you know, whether you're raising money in order to allow people to be financially um, in a better place Um, due to COVID-19 or for people to know that there's other, there's other people out there that, that are like them, that are doing these different sports and so that they can be inspired. That's just as important. Right. And so as a world we're coming together and it's just been awesome to work with Gatorade endurance. So hopefully everybody watches December 15th. Actually, I know everybody's going to watch December 15th because these stories, I told you, Keonti's story, Chris Moser, Allison Desir, you know, Diana Cara Morales and Max Fennell, inspiring stories.
0: Well, I know I'm looking forward to checking them out, man.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Wale Agunlia played 10 seasons in the NFL as a defensive end with the Dolphins, Bears, and Texans. He went from being a projected first-round pick to undrafted after tearing an ACL as a senior at Indiana. Agunlia made the Pro Bowl in 2003 when he had 15 sacks. He got a big contract from the Bears, eventually helped Chicago reach the Super Bowl following the 2006 season. We chatted about his career, what he's doing now, leading the UBS Global Wealth Management's new Athletes and Entertainers Client segment. Here's my conversation with Wale Agunlia. Wale, your journey to the NFL took a detour, man. Before you got started, you were expected to be a first or second round pick and ended up going back for your senior year at Indiana, got hurt, and eventually weren't drafted, signed as an undrafted free agent with Miami. That's a tough road. You don't know if you're going to make it. and all that. You end up getting to the Pro Bowl in your third season, getting this historic contract from the Bears, eventually playing 11 years. Just what was that journey
3: like for you, and, and what did it teach you along the way? Oh, man, it was a crazy journey. Um, But what what I think it did, it taught me a few things. One, just being resilient and um, believing in yourself. Right. Uh, And ultimately, that's the reason why I even came back my senior year. I felt like, you know, I was doing well. Indiana. I mean, I mean, it's crazy now. Indiana's, you know, top 10, 10 team in the country. Uh, But at the time we weren't. And I was trying to uh, leave a legacy at at the collegiate level. So I decided to stay another year, spoke to the the experts and they said, if you stay, you could possibly be a top 10 pick. And if you knew back then, you know, there were there there wasn't a rookie salary cap at that moment. So these athletes were making a ton of money um, right out of college. So I figured, you know, late first round. Uh, maybe top 10. I said, you know, let me come back my senior year and do it. Um, so uh, it was a gamble that I took on myself, Um but it, it, it taught me to be resilient, continue to trust in yourself, believe in yourself, even when the chips were down. Um, but more importantly, man, it, it humbled me. You know, I was big man on campus, running around, had, you know, agents coming down. This is when I think when the Lincoln Navigator first came on the scene and People offered me Lincoln Navigators if I signed with them and you know, I thought I was the man. So this, um, I think that journey of me turning my ACL kind of refocused my, my vision of what really matters in life. And um, I think uh, I would have traded for the world. And when you go through those kinds of
0: experiences, being humbled, learning to be resilient at such a young age, at the early part of your career, later on, do you reflect back in during those t- the time that you're in the NFL? Do you reflect back and go, "Yeah, now you're looking at it, saying I wouldn't trade it for anything." But while you were living it, while you were in it, w- were you able to realize? Did you have that clarity? Like, yeah, this was the best thing that happened to me.
3: No, no. When i and even now, if, let's say you know, let's put my son. You know, you know, I got a three-year-old son. Let's say he had the same. Um, decision today, I would probably suggest he'd he leave not knowing, you know, how it's nothing's promised tomorrow. And the, my story wound up being a good story, but how many others don't, right? How many people have you, you know, pre, we bumped into this and, hey, I was having a great career, Injuries ended it, you know, knock on wood, I was able to, you know, rehab, fight. And, you know, I tore three ligaments in my knee. I had a staph infection coming out of surgery. So the chips were stacked against me to still turn that into an 11-year career. So in the process, obviously, I, I regretted it. But looking back now, I realized everything happens for a reason and it worked out. But um, in the process, in the time, I was, I mean, I, I, I thought I had made the wrong choice. for Sure.
0: Over the course of your career, like I said earlier, you made it to a Pro Bowl. You got a big time contract after you were traded, and and you went to the Bears. You went to a Super Bowl with Chicago. What are some of the memories for you that stand out the most? And a lot of times when I talk to former players, they say it's not the the accomplishments; it's the
3: relationships. Oh, man. What, what is it like for you? Yeah, you took the answers right out of my mouth, man. Um, the the I don't I miss sometimes I miss Sundays because. Especially in playing in Chicago, I think probably, you know, one of the greatest fan bases in in the world, you know, the temperatures would be minus 15, minus 20 and packed people going crazy enjoying that. So I do miss that. But more importantly, I miss the relationships in the locker room, you know, being around the the teammates, people making fun of you. Uh, You're letting your guard down uh, playing, you know, practical jokes on you, you know, we're like these big kids, you know, but at the end of the day, we have families to take care of. And we know we have the pressures of the world on top of us. We know we have, you know, fans and opponents, but in that locker room, you know, nothing mattered. Your political alliances didn't matter where you were born. didn't matter how much money you had, uh, how big your contracts were at the time. Didn't matter. It really just the camaraderie and a friendship matters. and, And I miss that the most. It's been 10
0: years now since you last played. What do you see as some of the biggest changes? You you mentioned one earlier. Rookie contracts are obviously mm-hmm. different. There's a rookie cap, but there, there's so much that's changed in rule changes, the way the the offenses really are more dominant now. It's tougher yeah. for defenses. What do you see as the biggest?
3: I think the biggest change, honestly, man, it's it's off the field. You know, like people are not professionals, but they they act like the professional reporters. And um, the 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 invention of social media. Has changed a lot for these these uh these players. Having to you know before you even walk off the field, already have a column written about you, or seeing how you've played, or seeing some critiquing the game, um, is is a much bigger difference. And then having the, the interactions, which for some people, like if you're a you know a LeBron James and you, you can get your endorsement deals up, it's good. But for for the average player, you know, it's it's it can become you know like a wild wild west of people just throwing attacks at you and you having to, you know, hold your tongue um, and have this because people now have this access to you that before they never had. I saw a, a comment that, you know, Michael Jordan had said recently like he respects today's athlete because as Michael Jordan, he couldn't imagine himself coming up in an era where um, social media was was king. So I think that's the biggest difference. At the end of the day, you put your shoes on the same way. You put your helmet in, and, and, and cap on the same way. Um, but the the way that our audience get to um, interact with us, I think that's much different.
0: How closely do you follow today's game, the players? Do you look at some of the defensive linemen and, and enjoy watching some of them and maybe relate them back to, you know, it's only a decade ago that you right, there, right. But to your game, your style? Do you look at some of those guys and, and what are some of their names?
3: Yeah, well, the biggest, you know, obviously Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack, I, I tend to gravitate to them just watching the way they play. I mean, Aaron Donald just is just a man child. Um, the way he's built, you know, he's not the typical, you know, three technique that I had, you know, started coming up with, with these big massive guys like Tim Bowens or uh, it was a Gerard Warren or um, Marcus Stroud. These were some big men. I played with a guy named Daryl Garner. He's like 6'6". Six, six, three hundred and like 15 pounds, big, massive men. Uh, but a guy like Aaron Donald's more sh- sh- smaller and compact, but um, full of power. So I marvel at him. But more importantly, it's, it took a while for me to kind of become a fan of the game again, because I still was watching it from an X and O perspective. So, you know, I, I like, you know, at the end of the day, I probably watch basketball more because I still kind of like a student of the game. And I'm looking at X and O's. I don't get to really enjoy it like a like a regular fan would. We talk about the differences now
0: with the social media. That's an opportunity for players to build their brand, right? They get to build their brand. There's obviously so many different opportunities, financial opportunities for them that come their way. And it's Mm -hmm. difficult to navigate who's trying to come at me and take my money and who's trying to come to me with something legitimate. I know that you're involved in a social and financial initiative with UBS, a global wealth manager. What are you doing with them, and why is this important,
3: especially in today's age? Well, what we're doing is, you know, um, and too much too much credit goes to UBS. We we we're starting this athlete entertainment segment. I'm the head of sports and entertainment at the firm, and our initiative really is to bridge the gaps. Right, get the resources behind our advisors so that um, this segment, whether athletes or entertainers. We're tired of seeing the AP headlines, right? Of so and so has gone broke, or so and so got duped, or so and so is in a Ponzi scheme, right? Um, being a former player, being involved in situations where I had unsavory characters managing my money, I think now is the right time for us and, and, and me and UBS to get together to say, hey, let's bridge some of the gaps, right? UBS is the world's leader when it comes to financial management. I want us to dig a little deeper. Get away from the stereotypes and the misconceptions that we have. Um, Stay away from the social media way of looking at our athletes and entertainers, right? Our our advisors sometimes, to to their discredit, um, look at athletes as fans. Look at entertainers and their fans. You cannot be a fan and advise me. You have to be a partner. You have to be someone that's willing to be an advocate for me, hold my hand, understand the communities that I come from, and understand that I'm ultimately trying to leave a legacy. If they understand that, I think you know they're 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 doing the work um and making sure that these athletes and entertainers do not have these headlines of you know falling falling into ruin. And right now, as we still live through
0: a global pandemic several months into it, finances are difficult for a lot of we see the NFL with no fans. We see a lot of sports, obviously with no fans. things are going to be different. We don't know what it's going to look like in 2021. Some athletes may have to go about the way they live their lives a little bit differently. So how, how does that factor into everything that you guys are talking about and working on?
3: Nice. Great question. I believe at the end of the day, our advisors have to understand the CBAs of these leagues, right? They've got to understand that there may be a, a, an adjustment period of um, the salary cap may come down, may be reduced. Uh, I'm sure owners are going to put in COVID insurances. Like if you don't play a certain amount of game, of the game of the season, you might not get your bonus. And these players have to understand that instead of just signing their names on a dotted line, uh, advisors with along with the agents, are going to have to take a closer look at this language in the, these contracts, making sure that they're protecting our, their clients um, from COVID issues, because this is going to come up in the next CBA. It's going to come up in the next couple of contracts. If you're a free agent now, you better read your contract, um, especially if these, uh, if, you're, if your contract are, are connected to performance bonuses, player bonuses, uh, and time. You miss out with COVID. You may miss out on, on, on a couple million dollars just by getting sick for a couple weeks.
0: Wow, that sounds like really sound advice because I think a lot of guys, they're living for the moment, right? And, and it's hard to when you're in the game, when you're playing, when you're fighting for a new contract, you're in that moment. What does it take to be able to take a step back and go, I have to make sure three, four, five, six years down the line? Now, especially in a case of the NFL, I know more contracts are becoming guaranteed, but there's still you could be here today, gone tomorrow. What does it take to be able to recognize and realize that I got to look towards my future?
3: I think at the end of the day, you've got to realize this. Uh, I could care less. You you look at Patrick Mahomes' contract, right? Almost half a billion dollars. I mean, gosh, I wish I was playing today, right? But if we do not play another game, you cannot tell me Patrick Mahomes is going to get $500 million. I don't care what anyone says is guaranteed or not. You have to play the game. So what we have to understand is that nothing's promised tomorrow. And with that being said, you've got to now surround yourselves – with your, the, the ecosystem around these athletes, where it starts with the financial advisor has to be sound in his advice. Take He has to be able to take a step back. Because when you're in it, like when I played at Indiana University my senior year, I wanted to play. I wanted to come back for another year. The, the right decision probably was to leave. Who knows? But because I'm in it and I didn't have enough of an echo chamber to say, hey, well, I was in an echo chamber, and I have enough of an ecosystem of people saying – you might not be making the best decision for your family, for your legacy to to, to come back to school. You might not be making the right decision to sign that contract extension right now. Athletes and attenders have to do a better job of getting people around them that will tell them what they have to hear, not what they want to hear, what they have to hear. And that's the key of getting sound advice. And and, and that's my goal here at our firm is looking at our athletes holistically, not just day-to-day you know, headlines, you know, I'm a pro bowl player, look holistically, like, what are my decisions today? And how's that going to affect me later on, we call this thing, the three L's here at the UBS, right, the wealth management ways, liquidity, longevity, and legacy, liquidity is short term, longevity is long term, and legacies for a lifetime and generation, right? That's the way our athletes have to do it, um, and entertainers, and um, I'm, I'm happy to, to push this initiative forward.
0: When did you get, when did that realization hit you?
3: That I, I
0: want to be involved in this. And and this is something that I got to do. And then obviously, you put in the work, you put in the time, the study, the effort to reach a position that you're in now.
3: Uh, you know, it started off while I was in the league. You know, I, listen, I was a four year graduate at Indiana University. Uh, I had a ton of money in the bank. Um, I had a ton of money in the bank. I was a Pro Bowl player, I was a captain of the the, the Chicago Bears. And I didn't even understand the basic fundamentals of money. So you can't tell me I was stupid. I had a playbook this big that I understood every year and that I was able to re- re-memorize it and get done. But I didn't understand the basic fundamentals of money. I didn't understand what a basis point was, right? Somebody said, I'm going to charge you such and such basis points. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, okay. Because my pride wouldn't let me understand that. But once I got, you know, in, in in the wrong deals and got into some bad situations and risked millions of dollars, I said, you know what? I got to go back to school. So I went and got my MBA just to learn the basic of fundamentals. Got with UBS as a client. And I realized that, whoa, this is the biggest wealth manager in the world. Why don't I know about this? And if I don't know about this, I know my teammate that lines up next to me doesn't know about this. So I approached the, the, the UBS and said, hey, I love what you're doing in the space of wealth management. There's no reason why you're, not, you're the biggest firm in, in, in global wealth. And we do not have a dedicated resource to athletes and entertainers. I know we have athletes and entertainers already here at our firm. I went through the books. I mean, it's, uh, it's a smorgasbord of, of high-profile professionals. But I wanted us to get the word out. I wanted people that, that were born in New York City or in Idaho to know UBS is dedicated to changing the narrative when it comes to athletes and entertainers.
0: Well, man, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much.
3: No, thank you, too. I enjoyed it at any time, and hopefully down the road we'll uh, we'll see each other again.
0: Time for some final thoughts. I know the NFL is a passing league. Teams are throwing a ball more than ever. Quarterbacks are racking up incredible stats. But that Ravens-Browns Monday night game featured 89 points, 369 points yards rushing nine rushing TDs that tied an NFL record the top four rushing teams in the NFL Baltimore eight and five Tennessee nine and four Cleveland nine and four Arizona seven and six those four teams are combined 33 and 19 and nine of the top 12 rushing teams have a winning record I know the weather is getting colder and nastier up north as I mentioned Earlier, I'm staring at snow right now. And teams that can run the ball in December will be able to have success in January, and that'll give them a chance to play in February. That's it for this week's AP Pro Football podcast. Thank you to Dahani Jones, Wale Agunlier, and Barry Wilner please take a minute to subscribe to the show on iTunes and wherever you get your podcast. Share it out, leave a review, tell a friend. Also, check out our college football writer, Ralph Russo, and his AP Top 25 college football podcast. Until next week, I'm Rob Motti, reminding you, make a difference, be a blessing.